Uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll start walking through the book of Revelation. And I'm really excited for us as a church to get to hear and keep the message of Revelation together. But today, we're concluding our series, We Are Rocky Point. We're looking at three aspects of what it means to be a local church uh, in this series. First, we consider the truth that we are Christ's. The most important truth about the church is that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And so we should cling to Christ, our head. Uh, last week, we considered the truth we are one. And uh, by Christ's design, all uh, of his people are different, but he has made us one. And so we should embrace the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. Uh, but today we're focusing on how we are sent and uh, before we uh, once again turn our attention to Matthew 28, um, I want to just mention uh, uh, also that at the end of the service today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and after that, uh, we're, the live stream portion of our service will be over, and we have just a couple of things we want to talk about uh, together as a church. Now, I have, been, um, I have been told that the last couple of times I've said that, it has been alarming to people and um, concerning, and so I just want you to know it's not bad news. Um, there's just uh, there's some m m um, global missions-related things that we want to talk about, um, that, and for security reasons, we are not going to broadcast them on the Internet. So it's very, very good things that we're going to talk about after the live stream is over, um, and uh, it's very fitting because we're talking today about how we are sent. And so with that, uh, let's go ahead and uh, we've already recited Matthew 28 together, but let's turn our attention once again. Let's look at these words on the pages of scripture. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the authority of Jesus himself, let's stand if you're able in honor of the reading of God's word and hear once again the great commission. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Always to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Are you obeying the Great Commission? Are you obeying the Great Commission? I wonder even when I say that question and you hear that, what goes on in your heart? Do you instantly panic? Feel a little bit of guilt? Or when I say, are you obeying the Great Commission? Do you hear, I've been invited to something that is a joy and a privilege. Are you obeying the Great Commission. How would you even go about answering that question, I wonder? How do you know if you're obeying the Great Commission? 
Well, in our house, with our kids, we use a definition of obedience, and it's this. Obeying is doing what you're told without delay, without arguing, and with a happy heart. Now, that's not original to us, but we found it really useful in teaching our kids uh, to understand what our expectations of, are, of them are uh, when it comes to their obedience. Uh, so let me just break that down. Obeying is doing what you're told. Because if you don't, it shows you don't recognize the authority of the one telling you what to do. Obeying is to be done without delay. Because if you delay, it shows that what you want to do is more important to you than what you're told to do. It's to be done without arguing, because if you argue, it shows you're trying to obey on your own terms. And it's to be done with a happy heart, because the goal is not just productivity. The goal, with God's help, is to form hearts that delight to do God's will. To do anything less than this reveals a heart posture that is bent away from obedience. Now, I'm seeing a lot of parents elbowing their kids, but parents, this is for you, okay? <laughs> with that in mind, with those categories in mind, are you obeying the Great Commission? Do you recognize the authority of the one who has given the Great Commission? Are you letting other things come first before the mission Jesus has given us? Are you trying to obey the Great Commission, but on your own terms? Do you delight to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us? Is the posture of your heart bent toward obeying Jesus? The message of Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is really, really clear. Make disciples. That's the heart of this text. That's the heart of this sermon today. Make disciples. But if we are to actually obey that command, we must have the right heart posture. In fact, I want us to see in this text three postures we must have if we are to make disciples disciples. The first posture, bow to Christ's authority. Bow to Christ's authority. Making disciples begins by remembering who it is who calls us to make disciples. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. The one who calls us to make disciples is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We saw in Colossians 1 a couple weeks ago how Jesus Christ is the head of creation. He created all things. All things are made for him. He sustains all things. He's recreating all things. And that's the one who commands us to make disciples. He has all authority, and he has all authority because, as he said, he was given all authority. God the Father gave Jesus authority. Now, 
as God, the Son, Jesus already had authority from eternity past. But what Jesus is saying here is that the Father gave him authority as the human Messiah. This is a fulfillment of what Daniel saw in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, the human Messiah, and he came to the ancient of days, God, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. God the Father gave that authority, that everlasting, all-encompassing authority, and he gave that to Jesus because of his death and resurrection. Now, Jesus exercised authority as the Messiah in his earthly ministry even before he died, but the fullness of Jesus' authority as the human Messiah was given to him after his death and resurrection. This is why Paul says in Philippians 2, 8, and 9, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because Jesus died and rose again, he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth earth. Because of this, Jesus Christ will reign as king over all people from all nations for all of eternity. All creatures in heaven and on earth will bow before Jesus and worship him. He is king forever. Now, this is no small claim. Uh, To say that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth is not just a religious claim. It's a political claim. The Great Commission is not just a religious teacher saying to his followers, you know, wouldn't it be great if more people believed my teachings? No. In the Great Commission, the king who will reign over all creation forever is inviting people from all nations to become citizens of his eternal kingdom. And what's so amazing is that this king has chosen to extend that invitation through his disciples like you and me. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth has given this mission to his church. The king has established local churches like ours to be embassies of the kingdom of heaven. The local church has no other mission than the mission of our king. This is why making disciples begins with bowing to Christ's authority. Nothing else we could do should ever come close to the level that this great commission does. Getting practical, this means that we as a church must put our energy exclusively toward this great commission. Now, this is a mission that Jesus has given 
all his churches, uh, but we have articulated it for, for our church specifically in our mission statement, that we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And, and we, we say that, we, we post it places, we, we read it together at times, we, we, we say that all the time, but this is not just a nice slogan or a nice sentiment. This is a filter. Everything we think about doing as a church needs to be brought to this filter of the Great Commission. If something helps make disciples, it passes through the filter, and we do it. If something doesn't help make disciples, we don't do it. Does it help lost people hear the gospel? All right, let's do it. Does it only meet people's temporary needs? That's not enough. Does it help build up the church? Well, let's be all about it. Does it only entertain and show people a good time? It's a waste of energy. Does it help people become like Jesus? Sign me up. Does it only advance a political agenda of this world? We don't do it. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth has given us one mission. One mission. And the only right way for us to respond is with a posture of bowing to Christ's authority. By making his mission our mission. Bow to Christ's authority. The second posture we must have if we are to make disciples. Follow Christ's instructions. Follow Christ's instructions. So we said the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has given us an, inst- uh, an instruction. But what is it? Well, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The central command in these verses is make disciples. All the other commands are in its uh, uh, are, are orbiting around that central command at the heart of Jesus' great commission is the instruction to the church to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. To be a disciple is to be a student of a teacher. It's to be an apprentice to a master. It's to see someone you want to be like and say, I, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to learn from you. I want to spend my life being formed to become more like you. The term disciple in Scripture is just another word for Christian. Disciples are not Christian special ops. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. Everyone who has been born again, who has repented of their sins and trusted Jesus as their Savior is a disciple. Or to put it another way, if a person is not following Jesus as Lord, that person is not a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. To make disciples, then, is to help someone else follow Jesus. Mark Dever puts it this way in his book called Discipling. He says, discipling 
is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. Jesus commands us to help others follow Jesus so that they will become more like Jesus. And he commands us to make disciples of all nations. Again, King Jesus is inviting us to invite people from all nations throughout the whole world to become citizens of his kingdom. And they become citizens of Christ's kingdom when they become disciples, when they choose to follow Jesus as Lord. So then what does it look like practically to follow Jesus' instruction to make disciples of all nations? Well, Jesus tells us in the other three commands in these verses. The first part of Jesus' instruction is to go tell. Go tell. Jesus says in verse 19, go. We make disciples of all nations by going to all nations. This shows us that making disciples does not happen by accident. It's not as though Jesus said, you know, as you're anyway kind of going about your life, try to, you know, tell people about me from time to time in your spare time. No, he calls his disciples to actively pursue those who are not disciples and urge them to follow Jesus. We are called to go, and we are called to go with a message. Jesus' command is not to go make the world a better place. Jesus' command is to go and proclaim the gospel. A parallel passage to Matthew 28 is Luke 24. In verses 46 and 47 of Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. We are to go proclaim the gospel because nothing less than eternity is at stake. The nations are lost in their sin against God. If they do not repent and trust in Jesus, they will receive the just punishment for sin, eternity separated from God. But they cannot trust in Jesus unless someone tells them the gospel. And they will only ever hear the message of Jesus if a disciple of Jesus goes and tells it to them. Uh, Mr. W. reminded us of this last Sunday. The only way the nations will hear the gospel is if a disciple of Jesus proclaims the gospel to them. That's why the W family is going to a nation with no access to the gospel. Unless someone goes and proclaims, those precious souls will never be able to repent and, for, and receive the forgiveness of sins. So in light of this instruction, are you actively pursuing who are you actively pursuing with the gospel? Are you going or are you waiting for people to come to you? Are you proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Or are you settling for just living publicly as a Christian? 
this passage also raises this question. What's stopping you from going to the nations? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And again, thinking back to the W family, I think their example is really instructive. You know, they, they weren't seminary trained or in vocational ministry. Jesus didn't appear to them on the road to Emmaus. They just heard the great commission that we've just heard and recited out loud. They saw that there are nations that don't have access to the gospel, and so they just decided to obey. Jesus has already given the command. So what's stopping you from going? We, the church of Jesus Christ, must go tell. No one will become a disciple of Jesus if we don't. If we are going to make disciples, we must go tell people the good news that Jesus died and rose again. The second part of Jesus' instruction is bring in. We go tell, we bring in. To make a disciple, uh, first we must go to someone who is not a disciple and tell them the gospel. When the person repents and trusts in Jesus, he or she is saved and becomes a disciple of Jesus. But disciple-making is not over at that point. Jesus says in verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. After a person becomes a disciple, we are to baptize that disciple. Baptism is an entrance. It's an entrance Baptism is a sign that marks a disciple's entrance into fellowship. First and foremost, it marks their entrance into fellowship with God himself. This is why Jesus says literally baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But baptism also marks a disciple's entrance into fellowship with the people of God. We saw last week how when a person is saved... Christ baptizes them in the Holy Spirit, and they enter the universal church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Well, likewise, baptism in water is tied to a disciple's entrance into a local church. After Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. These new disciples were baptized and added to the membership of the local church in Jerusalem. Why is it so important that we not just go, but that we bring a disciple into the local church? It's because Jesus created the local church to be the environment where discipleship happens. Jesus created the local church to be the environment where discipleship happens. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples 
if you have love for one another. We cannot be faithful disciples if we are not in deep, sacrificially loving relationship with other disciples. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We grow in maturity as disciples within the context of the body of Christ. And then in in some shocking language in Hebrews 10, uh, the author says this in verses 24 to 27, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, for... If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Jesus uses the regular gathering and encouragement of the local church to Keep us from falling away from him. Disciples need the local church. We are not making disciples if we are not bringing disciples into the fellowship of the local church. We're not making disciples if we are not bringing disciples into the fellowship of the local church. And so I I wonder, is this part of the Great Commission as urgent to you as it is to Jesus? Is this as important to you as it is to Jesus? When you see a person who calls themselves a Christian, but they're disconnected from a local church, do you see someone who's just, you know, not not, not experiencing the best that they could have? Or do you see someone who is in spiritual danger? How can you help disciples of Jesus around you understand more fully just how much we need the local church. Jesus created the local church to be the environment where discipleship happens. So if we are to make disciples, we must bring in disciples to the local church. And the final part of Jesus' instruction is grow up. To make disciples, we go tell the nations the gospel, we baptize disciples and bring them in to the fellowship of the local church, but we're still not done yet. Jesus says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The goal of the Great Commission is not merely to make converts. It's not merely to increase the membership roles of local churches. We are are not making disciples unless we are teaching those who have entered the community of faith to observe all that Jesus commanded. Growing up in this way means we need to teach what Jesus commanded. Uh, We are to do this in a number of ways. It it happens in gathered worship uh, as we read Scripture out loud, as we preach. It happens in Bible studies and discipleship classes. 
It also happens in personal relationships. The older teach the younger. Friends teach friends. Parents teach their children. But notice, we're not just called to teach what Jesus commanded. We are to teach disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded. Making disciples is not just about education. Making disciples is not just an information dump. Discipleship is not just about knowing. It is about being. Discipleship is not merely about information, but about formation. In Galatians 4.19, Paul expresses his own disciple-making burden for the Galatians by calling them, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The end goal of disciple-making is disciples who are formed in such a way that they know and love Jesus and who are becoming like him by the grace of God. Disciples who love God and love neighbor. Disciples who are poor in spirit, merciful, pure in heart. Disciples who are led by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. Discipleship is not just about knowing, it is about being. Making disciples like that doesn't happen merely by dumping information. It also doesn't happen merely by casually attending a once-a-week gathering. We must do life together as a family of believers, as disciples seeking to make disciples. Learning to observe all Jesus commanded requires an example to follow. It's not just taught, it's caught. Again, in his book, Discipling, Mark Dever says this, Really, discipling is a kind of fashion modeling. No, you're not showing off clothes for a photographer. You're demonstrating a fashion or way of living for others to follow. Discipling is inviting them to imitate you, making your trust in Christ an example to be followed. It requires you to be willing to be watched and then folding people into your life so that they actually do watch. Now, that's not to say we should practice our righteousness before men in order to be seen by others, as Jesus warned us against in Matthew 6. Instead, it's the attitude of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1, who says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So I wonder, how are you teaching disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded? Now, I don't just mean, are you teaching a Bible study? Although that's a great way to make disciples. No, are you fostering relationships in which people can learn to observe Jesus' teaching by watching your example? In fact, we could even step back and ask, when people look at you, what kind of example do they see? Would they learn to observe what Jesus commanded by watching your example? example. How are you teaching other disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded? Jesus instructed us to make disciples, and to do that, we go tell people the gospel, we bring in disciples, 
into the local church, and then we grow up together by teaching one another to observe all that Jesus commanded. And when we do this, when we go tell, bring in, and grow up, we are following Christ's instruction to make disciples, to help one another follow Jesus. Uh, So again, to make disciples, the, the posture of our hearts must be to bow to Christ's authority, to follow Christ's instructions. And then finally, the third posture we must have if we are to make disciples, lean on Christ's presence. Lean on Christ's presence. If we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ, there is one ingredient that we need more than anything else. We need this so much, in fact, that even if we had everything else, but we didn't have this, we would totally fail. What is it? Christ himself. We cannot make disciples of Jesus without Jesus. We cannot make disciples of Jesus without Jesus. Jesus, and that's why after giving the command to make disciples, Jesus gives a promise that makes disciple-making actually possible. Look at the end of verse 20. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. At the beginning of his gospel, Matthew introduced Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus did not stop being God with us when he ascended to the Father. Jesus is God with us even now. He is with his disciples now, and he will be with us until this age ends at his second coming. He is with us now, spiritually, through the person of the Holy Spirit. God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit to dwell in his disciples and to empower the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit is so vital to fulfilling Jesus' mission, Jesus actually told his disciples in Luke 24 not to go until the Holy Spirit arrived. But when the Holy Spirit did arrive, the disciples started making disciples. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled Jesus' disciples. And what was the very first thing that happened? They proclaimed the gospel to people from every nation under heaven. 3,000 people received the gospel and were baptized and brought into the church in Jerusalem. And they immediately started gathering, teaching serving one another, and practicing the way of Jesus together. And throughout the book of Acts, this pattern continues in more and more places throughout the world. The disciples go tell people the gospel. As people believe, they bring them in to local churches. And as those local churches grow together, they do so through observing the teaching of Jesus together. You know the Holy Spirit is at work when you see the Great Commission being fulfilled. You know you're seeing the Holy Spirit move when people are making disciples. In fact, if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, 
make disciples. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in you, go tell someone about Jesus. Bring in a disciple into the fellowship of the local church. Teach someone to observe what Jesus has commanded. Do the things that Jesus promised we can do because he is with us. You know, it's scary, but we can succeed at all sorts of stuff without the presence of Jesus. We can build a crowd. We can boost people's self-esteem. We can even do service projects and care for the poor. But we cannot make disciples of Jesus without Jesus. To obey the Great Commission is to attempt to do do something that will fail if Jesus is not with us. If we are to make disciples, we must depend on the presence of Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to depend on the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to pray together. So many of you have been in the class I've been leading through John Anwachekwa's book, Prayer, And in that book, he lists 21 times in the book of Acts that corporate prayer fueled the fulfillment of the Great Commission. He says this in his book, Luke highlights that the church did more than learn truths about God. They really leaned on him. In Acts, Christians regularly gathered for prayer. Why is it that this kind of prayer is absent in many of our churches today. So as we seek to lean on the presence of Christ, may we pray together. And may we not just pray for what we want, but may we pray for what Jesus wants, specifically in the Great Commission. Pray for the kind of power that can only come from Jesus with us. Pray we would have boldness to go proclaim the gospel like we see the disciples in Acts pray for boldness. Pray the Holy Spirit would transform people into disciples of Jesus and raise the dead to life. Pray that the head of the church would add to our numbers with new disciples as we bring them into the fellowship of the local church. Pray that the head of the church would empower us to grow up together and to teach one another to observe all he commanded. Pray for the world-shaking power, the, the, the kind of world-shaking things that are possible when the king of creation is with us. The king not only commands us, the king empowers us and is with us. And remember that because the king of creation is with us as we carry out his great commission, we don't have to fear. If Jesus is with us, we don't have to fear being alone. If Jesus is with us, we don't have to fear failure because only he can make his mission succeed. If Jesus is with us, we don't have to fear that we may not have what it takes because if we have Jesus, we have everything we need to make disciples of Jesus. If we if Jesus is with us, we don't have to fear suffering because the very presence of Jesus is a greater reward than the greatest comfort this world has to offer. And if Jesus is with us, we don't have to fear death because Christ in you 
is the hope of glory, Paul says. So as we seek to make disciples together as a church, may we lean on Christ's presence. Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. And so I go back to the question I started with. Are you obeying the Great Commission? Are you bowing to Christ's authority? Are you following Christ's instruction to go tell, to bring in, to grow up? Are you leaning on Christ's presence? Are you making disciples? May we be a great commission church. When we hear that question, are you obeying the great commission? Uh, May we not be first uh, experiencing a feeling of guilt But may we first experience a feeling of excitement that Jesus would invite us to go and tell the nations that they can be citizens of his heavenly kingdom. May we not let other things come first. May we not try to obey the Great Commission on our own terms. May we actually delight to carry out Jesus' mission together. And to that end, as we follow Jesus as his disciples, in his presence, may we say with the psalmist in Psalm 119.35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Well, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, um, we're going to respond to the word of God in a number of ways. As we come to the Lord's table, we remember, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we remember Jesus' death that has the power to transform sinners into disciples. As we come to the Lord's table, we remember we also participate. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that we participate in the body and blood. In other words, we renew our faith in the death of Christ alone to save us from our sins and make us king, uh, citizens of his kingdom. We remember, we participate, we also commune. There's a reason why we call the Lord's Supper communion, because we commune with Jesus who promised he is with us always to the end of the age. Uh, But we also commune with one another at his table. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We remember, we participate, we commune with Jesus and one another. We proclaim, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we also anticipate the day that we get to feast with Jesus in person at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of, the fruit of, this, uh, of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We eat and drink today in the presence of Jesus who promised he is with us always to the end of the age. And as we do, we anticipate the end of that age 
which comes when Jesus is with us, not just spiritually, but physically, personally, when he returns and we feast with him forever. So we come today to the table to remember, to participate, to commune, proclaim, anticipate, and ultimately to celebrate our Savior and our Lord. This is a sacred time at the Lord's table, and it's, it's a time for disciples. Uh, this is a time for believers who have rested all their hope on the death and resurrection of Christ. So if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, if you've not yet trusted in him to save you from your sins, we would uh, ask that you refrain from partaking in the Lord's Supper until you come to faith in Christ. In fact, we would invite you to use this time to consider Jesus' offer, the good news of the gospel, that he died to forgive sinners, he rose again to conquer death, and if you trust in him alone, he will save you from your sins and give you eternal, abundant life that comes with being with Jesus forever. We encourage you to that are believers to examine your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If your heart is harboring unrepentant sin, uh, we would ask you to refrain until you're able to come freely per- to partake. But if you are a member of the body of Christ, we invite you to come to Jesus's table. Uh, this is a meal that's not just for our local body, but for the global body of Christ. And so if you're a baptized member of a gospel preaching church in good standing, we welcome you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Um, In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a song. And during that time, as you're ready, you can come and receive the elements down front, and then we'd ask that you take them back to your seat and uh, hold on to them so that we can then partake all together. Let's pray. Father, as we we bow our heads now, we remember how Jesus bowed his head and gave his spirit when he died as a substitute for us. Lord, we remember and we participate. Lord, as we come to the table, Lord, I ask that you would renew our faith in Christ alone that you would renew our faith in his sufficient death to save us from our sins. Lord, as we come, we, we commune. Lord, Jesus promised that he is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And so, Lord, this is not just a memorial of someone who lived a long time ago. Lord, we have this meal in the presence of Jesus. And Lord, we commune with one another. Lord, we don't come to the table as individuals. We come to the table as a family. And we are one because we all partake of the one bread. Lord, we proclaim the gospel even now as we proclaim and portray our trust in the death of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that our proclamation would start at the table but continue as we leave this place and Lord we anticipate the day that this shadow will become a reality and we experience the substance of feasting 
in the physical presence of Christ. Lord, would we celebrate in our hearts and delight in what Christ has done for us now as we come to the table. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.